Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? Hey, how you doing today? This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics Throughout All Ages and we're here to discuss apologetics, a worldview that everyone has. It doesn't matter who you are in this world as human beings. You have an apologetic. You have a worldview that you stand on and you display your life with that worldview. Well, we're here to look at science, history, archaeology, and uh, the reality that we live in and see if your worldview can can stand up to scrutiny as we lay it on a scale to see if it has inconsistencies. Today we're going to be talking about three camps of apologetics. Today we will be talking about these three camps and why they are needful at any given time to a Christian. With over 6,000 years of history With 2,000 years since Jesus walked on this earth, the Bible and its author has contended with the biggest names of science, history, archaeology, philosophy, and religions of the world. And Jesus has been said to be the greatest communicator to mankind. He spoke in parables, similes, metaphors, poetry, proverbs, puns, hyperbole, and paradoxal when he speaks. Now, these three camps of apologetics is evidentialists, the classical argument, and the presupposition. When we talk about the evidentialists, it is this approach to utilize evidence and arguments from history, archaeology, prophecy, and miracles. For instance, when we talk about archaeology, we know of this once civil we know of this civilization that was called the Hittites and they were around 1500 BC so this was in the time uh even before Abraham and we could be it could be uh it's been almost 3000 years that the naturalists even the historian archaeologists and the historian buffs has said there were no Hittite civilization. There were no people called the Hittites. And this was the role for almost 3,000 years. Now, Genesis spoke, or should I say the Bible spoke about the Hittites. It tells us in Genesis fifteen eighteen that the Hittites um, played a prominent role of Old Testament history. It tells us this in Genesis 15, verse 18. On the day that the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, 
the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hittites. It also tells us as we go further into 1 Kings, the 10th chapter, verse 28, it tells us, and Solomon import horses from Egypt and the king's traders received them from Q at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's trader, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. We know that it spoke of um, Uriah, who was one of the generals of David. Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, was a Hittite. And the Hittites was a powerful force in the Middle East between 1750 B.C. until about 1200 B.C. Now, there appeared to be no evidence. Think about this for a second. There appeared to be no evidence for 3,000 years for their existence outside of the Bible. Skeptics cited the missing evidence and the evidence that the Bible actually fabricated their existence. Um, They were called into reliability of the Bible account of this question. But we can see here that the Bible demonstrates its faithfulness over and over. We know that in the 19th and 20th century, archaeologists not only identified extra biblical references, references to the Hittite civilization, but excavating the ancient Hittite capital city of Yatuza. Another evidence for the Hittites was the discovery of a treaty between Pharaoh Ramsey II, I believe he was the third Pharaoh of that kingdom, and the Hittite Empire. Uh, the Hittite Empire, should I say. So we can look at archaeology and begin to look at that and say, you know, this is a good argument where we use archaeology. But then there's prophecy as we want to get into evidential discourse. Prophecy is something that God would foretell the future of things that were going to take place. We know in Deuteronomy that Jesus spoke of a Messiah, of a man coming in the likeness of Moses. You know Moses. Moses was a guy who came out. He led the tribe out of slavery And he began to do miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. He did plagues in the land. He hit a rock and water came out of it. Well, this is what it tells us about who Moses was. It says, and and who the Messiah was going to be. No one knew who he was going to be at this point. But it says that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, From among you, Moses said, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. And I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. It's that word like me. When we think about who Moses was, we have to find an individual who could do these things, who could defy naturalism, who could part the sea, who could call plagues down, who God would raise up to bring their brethren out of captivity, out of slavery. It also tells us in Deuteronomy 34.10, since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face. 
for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel. And here we get that sentence, a prophet like Moses God was going to send. We know prophets would see visions and dreams, yet Moses, as a prophet, spoke face to face with God. As a matter of fact, Moses delivered Israel. He was a mediator through a covenant, a priest, a ruler, and a judge. So when we look at a Messiah that would have to be like Moses, we find in history that there is no other man who would accomplish this but this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven in John six thirty eight, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, Jesus would be this deliverer, but he would be a deliverer from hell, a mediator of a new covenant, that he would perform signs and wonders, wonders, that this Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, offered himself as a sin offering and as a priest, that he was a judge and he was a king. So not only do we have hundreds of prophecies of how Jesus would come and who he is, but we have prophecies of kingdoms and wars and kings and tools and tongues and dialects that we could place in future events. Now, there's another thing about evidentialist argument is the miracles. When we talk about miracles of Jesus, the historical account of the gospel and the epistles make this clear. Now, we have some external historical witnesses of miracles Jesus did. You see, we find this in the Talmud. There were actually two writings of the Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. Now, these writings started as the oral Torah. Now, the Torah was the five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, with the Torah that was written, they also had an oral Torah in those days that would give oral instructions, descriptions, and commentary of the first five books of the Old Testament. But by the second century, it was put into writing, the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. It's here we find reference to a miracle Jesus did. Listen to this. In the Babylonian Talmud, Foley 43a, on the eve of the Passover of Jeshua, On the eve of the Passover, Joshua was hung for 40 days before the execution took place. A herald went forth and cried, he is going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery. Of course, Jewish rabbis called it sorcery, magic, witchcraft. Nevertheless, we have an external account of Jesus being crucified and miracles being performed. On the next half, we are going to talk about the classic argument, the classic apologetics apologetics and its method. Come back on the second part as we talk about the three camps of apologetics. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. 
go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Join Creation Fellowship's Antees Apologetics Speaker Series Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. First Peter verse 3, chapter 15 says, To always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Creation Fellowship Santee's brand name apologetic speakers will do just that. Equip you with the knowledge and tactics to explain your Christian faith. Get equipped Thursday nights at 6.30. Learn more on Facebook and YouTube at Creation Fellowship Santee or email Santee at gmail.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. How you doing? As we get into the second part of the three camps of apologetics, we're talking about the evidentialist, the classical argument, and the presupposition. When we talk about the classic argument, it's called the classical apologetics, a defense. And this is a method of apologetics that begins by first employing various theistic arguments to establish the existence of a God. So we don't point right away to the Christian God, but we believe that as we can point out that there has to be a God in this universe, a mind, that we first go to the theistic argument that there is a God, and from there necessarily, necessarily it will point to a personal God, and it's the only God that's ever been claimed to do what he does and, and to be by nature who he is, and that is the Christian God. So when we talk about classic apologetics, we will often utilize the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, the ontology, the being. Where did being come from when we talk about the theistic God? We'll talk about the moral arguments to prove that there is a God, that there is no justification or how we live our lives and who we are, that it first needs to point to a mind, to a God that's outside of me and you that shows, uh, that proves this God existence, or it points to this God's existence. For instance, we see the tension of design as we look not into the woods at each tree, but we first give a a 3,000 foot view above as we're driving an airplane, as we're flying an airplane above the forest, we first look at the earth, we look at the universe, and we see this tension that's going on. The probability of life on planet earth screams for an intelligent designer, The tension of the fundamental constants that gives us the universe in such precision, working conditions like gravitation, quantum mechanics, the electromagnetism, and even the periodical table. Also, we can look at DNA and its language. 
and the irreducibility of complexity of the biological system, it all points to a theistic God. And from there, we can begin to look at something so personal as what God has made on this universe. How did we get so personal? Where did this personality come from? So when we look, for instance, at the Kalam argument, that something that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, so therefore, necessarily, it must has, have a cause to the effect. So we need to take place here and think about this for a second, that you had a universe that, that exploded. They call it the Big Bang, that it came into existence Now, for this universe to come into existence, what it points to that anything within this universe. So as we look at billions and billions and billions of galaxies and trillions and trillions of stars and you accumulate all this energy that was needed to process this, just tons of energy. And if you think about this, Something bigger than this universe, something that had more power than this universe had to cause it to happen, had to cause it to make the effect that this universe would come to be. So necessarily, as we look at time, space, and matter, the answer that the atheist would give you, the answer that the naturalist would give you is, I don't know. The closest they've come to an argument is to somehow say by fluctuations, you have this quantum fluctuation happening. But even that, their colleagues, their colleagues would point that that's energy and it didn't come from nothing, that nothing is something and something is an effect and we need something to cause the effect to happen. And so we can see that if you have time, space, and matter, we know that it all came into existence at all together at one time. Again, I've said this before, you cannot have time without space, and you cannot have space without matter, and you cannot have matter without time, and so it all correlates with one another. So what was more powerful than time, space, and matter? Well, necessarily, again, we would need something that's more powerful than time. And we know this. What is more powerful than time? Well, that's something that's eternal, something that's infinite. And what is something more powerful than space? Well, that would be something that is spaceless. And what is more powerful than matter? Well, that would be something that's immaterial. And we can look down all history. We can look at all the history in the science books. We can look for everything that we know of as human beings. And as we throw time, space, and matter on a scale, the only thing that could follow to make that was a God, a God that was eternal, bigger than time, a God that was spirit, that was spaceless, and a God that was immaterial, like the God that Christianity has is the Christian God. So we can, we can have a justifiable answer for time, space, 
and matter. And the cause of that is this God, the Christian God. We'll talk more about this on later dates. But the next one is the presuppositionalist. Now, when we talk about a presuppositionalist, the presuppositionalist is the person who says that I'm grounded by God and God's word alone. And there is nothing else that grounds me but God's word. This is my starting point. And as I look at God, I begin to look at the universe around me and I begin to see this uniformity in nature. That everything is uniform. I could not even do science unless this universe, this earth that we live in, was consistent. Why is it consistent? When you ask the atheist, the scientist, why is yesterday the same as today? Why is today going to be the same tomorrow? They have no justifiable answer. What they will tell you is it's always done that, so we assume it's going to do that. But that's not a justifiable answer. You see, in the Christian says, the reason why we have the uniformity of nature, that every day is consistent, that we don't have to worry if gravity is going to be changed tomorrow, is because we got a God that's all-powerful that can hold up an order on this universe. And when we look at the laws of, of logic, for instance, the laws of identity, the law of uh, excluded middle, and the law of non-contradiction, that we can look at the laws of logic and see that they're universal, immaterial, and unchangeable. Do you know anyone else? And these are just abstracts, right? They're out there. But who they cannot do nothing of themselves, these laws of logic. These laws of logic are just out there. Someone needs to hold them in place. Something, and this is where we get to the God of Christianity, that he is, from his very nature, has the laws of logic, that he sustains them, that God is universal, that God is immaterial, that the Christian God is unchangeable, so he can hold the laws of logic that come from him, permeates through all the universe that we have laws of logic. It wasn't one day when humans' minds weren't around that somehow we could have the laws of logic not being there. No, the laws of logic, whether there were minds to discover it or not, the laws of logic have always been. If there were two rocks, one plus one always equal two. If you had the sun in one place, you could not have the sun in the other place at the same time in the same sense. That would be a law of contradiction. Even if there were no minds here, you couldn't have that. So the Christianity, when we do a presuppositionalist, we say there's uniformity in nature, that we have the laws of logic, and then we have pre-intelligibility. Where do we get the information Every atom, every molecule, um, everything that we see on this universe has information. The DNA that's in our body. Well, where did information come from? We know when we look at science that we have never seen information come from anything else but a mind. 
A mind had to be the preconditions of intelligibility that would bring information into this universe, let alone this earth, this planet earth that we live in, that there's no life anywhere else except for here on this planet earth that we know of. And we, so we know that there must be a mind because that's all we know scientifically. So here we have it, guys. In the next couple of weeks, we will be talking about the evidentialist argument. We will be talking about the classic argument. And we will be talking about the presupposition that holds this universe in place. And so my name is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. And I want you to weigh out your worldview and see if it makes sense if you're an atheist if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Muslim, if you're a skeptic, that we need to weigh out our worldview and see if it makes sense as we look at history, science, archaeology, and we look at the world that we live in, the reality that we live in. And above all, we need to have truth. Without truth, nothing really is impossible. All right, this is Joe with 1530. Apologetics. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.